please listen as Mike Sloan, our assistant pastor, brings the message that God has for us on this Lord's Day. It's my privilege to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 12 this morning. We will consider together Genesis 12, 1 through 3, which many of you know is the record of the call, God's call to Abraham to come out, to have him and his family follow him, be in covenant with God. And before we read, I just want to remind you a little bit of the context of this call. So much has already happened in Genesis up to this point. Of course, we know the account of God's glorious creation and the command that we had as male and female bearing his image to steward that creation, to bring him glory. And so now, after sin has entered the world and we're on this downward spiral, we know, of course, uh, the flood and that devastation that was brought on by man's sin, by our own sin. And then, of course, we have the account of the Tower of Babel, where man is trying to build and establish a great name for himself apart from God. And, of course, that also ends in judgment. And so at this point, when not much has gone right for a long time, uh, the question is now being asked, I, I would assume by anyone who reads this account, has God's beautiful plan been foiled? And what is God's response to human sin? What is going to happen? But here God begins by initiating a gracious covenant with Abraham and his descendants and declares his true intentions for humanity, his intentions to bless despite our sin. So let's give our attention now to the reading of God's word. Now the Lord has said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word, we come knowing our own sin and that all that has gone wrong in the world is because of ourselves. And Father, we need you to bless us. We need hope to know that our sin is not the end of the story, but you are a gracious God who has brought us into a relationship with yourself. And you desire to bless us and have us bless others. All for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. So here God establishes a covenant with Abraham and calls him to be his people, Abraham and his descendants, to be a, a renewed humanity. This is an incredible calling that Abraham has been given and his descendants to come out and to live distinctly, following and walking with God, knowing him obeying his commandments and the blessing and the promises that go along with that high calling should overwhelm us for Israel. Remember who they were, the people of Israel to whom this text was first delivered. They were nobody. They were an oppressed, enslaved people. They did not have any dignity. And yet God comes to them and says, you are mine. You are my people. 
I love you, and my desire for you is to bless you, to raise you up, to call you out of your slavery, to be different. I know, so for, for Israel, this is their family history. I know we all have a family history. There are things uh, in our family histories we're rightfully proud of, and there are things in each and every one of our family histories that we're ashamed of because of human sin, because of its effects in this world. And for Israel, it was the same way. They had a family history. And Moses takes this time, at this moment, to say, this is your history. This is who you are. On one, in one sense, Abraham is no better. Abraham is a sinner, just like anyone else. He was no better. God called him by grace. He was one of those members of the, the nations that were scattered after Babel. And so Abraham, he has nothing, no merit of his own. And yet God comes to him and shows him grace. So there is a part of the family history that they need to be reminded of, that you're no better. You have nothing to offer God. But in another sense, you have everything because God has covenanted to be your God, to bless you. So there's much to be encouraged by in this passage. In fact, you know that you are also sons and daughters of Abraham called to be and partake in this very same covenant, called to be in covenant with the living God. And he has said, you are my own sons and daughters, and I will bless you. So this is our family history as well. As God blesses us, knowing that we have nothing to offer him of our own, and yet despite that blessing us, he transforms us. He calls us out to live and obey him, to trust him. And this is our story as well. This is our family history, even here, those of us here at Old Peachtree, that God will bless us and transform us. Look at verse 1. Notice what, notice first of all, the call that God gives to Abraham. Verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, because God is God, the covenant is made on his terms. God comes to Abraham in grace and look at what he says. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. This command is one word. Go. Go. That is the call of the covenant of our God. That is the call that we've been given. And it implies two things. First of all, it is a command to trust. Go to the land I will show you. God says, Abram, you live here in Ur. Not anymore. I'm going to kick you out the door and go. I'm taking you to a new land. I'm not going to tell you where it is. You have to trust me. You have to know that I will be with you, and that is enough. I'm not going to tell you where it is. So Abraham has to trust. He doesn't know where it is. He just says, well, I guess he'll tell me in his own time. I just have to trust him for now. Also, there's, there's a lot of trust involved here. Look at what it says. He says, go from your country. And then also, from where? From your kindred, your family relationships, and from your father's house. So there's, there's a narrowing of that scope. Abraham lived in Ur. We know that present-day Iraq. At that time, it was a very prosperous, affluent city. There was uh, much there to be secure in. And Abraham was... I'm sure very comfortable there. God says, no, you have to leave that. 
You have to leave your country. Not only that, you have to leave your family. Your family was uh, basically a lot of times in, the, in that time, you're, they were your business partners. This is how you provided for your whole family. You had a whole network and you all worked together. And oftentimes it was that sort of family business idea. So Abraham has to leave that as well. And also the close, intimate relationship of his immediate family. Now it says you can't depend on that anymore. I'm calling you out and you have to look to me. You have to trust me alone. You have to sever these ties and look to me. You have to trust me. So that's the first thing that it implies, the command to trust. Uh, Of course, most of you know that we have recently had our own move. And although probably not uh, quite as traumatic as Abraham's was from Ur, um, hundreds of miles away to the land of uh, Canaan, we know eventually is the land that he was called to, though it's not named here. Uh, as we moved, of course, there's the stress of moving. There's the, there's the, the overwhelming uh, sense of uh, there's so much to do and not enough time to do it. And, of course, that affects our children. And, and if you have children, uh, you, you know it affects them. And so we've had a lot of trouble with Eleanor sleeping at night, and she's, she's acting out more. She's not sleeping as well. And basically what it has had to happen to get her to, to calm down, for me to assure her, it's okay. It's going to be all right. I know this has upset you, and there's a lot of stress. It's okay. Basically, I just have to go in her room and hold her and show her, hey, Yes, we've moved, and you left the house. You knew that was your home, and that's very stressful. But I'm your home. Mommy and Daddy, we are your home. And just to hold her and tell her, do not be afraid. I'm here. I'm with you. We won't leave you. That is exactly what the people of God, Israel, the descendants of Abraham, were called to know about their God. When they were about to go into the land in Deuteronomy, Moses reminded them again, Even as he is reminding them here of the command to trust in their God, he reminds them in Deuteronomy 33, he says, The eternal God is your dwelling place. Even as you are about to enter into the land that God promised to Abraham and inhabit it, who is your true home? I am your true home. You must trust me. As long as I am with you, there is nothing to fear. So the the go, the command in verse 1 to Abraham, go from your country implies first trust, but it also, of course, is, the co- is a command. It's to obey. It is to come out of Ur, that city, which was not only affluent and prosperous, but of course was a city filled with the nations that had been scattered, and it was full of idolatry. It was full of false worship, people running away, from their God, the God who made them. So Abraham is being called out from that to sever those ties and to have a new start to be distinctly different. He and his descendants to live a life in obedience to God and his commands. In fact, uh, this is made quite clear in the book of Joshua. If you would turn over to Joshua chapter 24 for just a moment. the end of the book of Joshua, when he is reminding the people of God's faithfulness and encouraging them to continue to obey the Lord and do not forsake his commands, Joshua reminds them of their family history. In verse 2 and 3, Joshua said to all the people, 
This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river, that's Ur, and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. So this call to go, for Abraham to leave his country and his family, is also a call to repent. What was that idol worship and what did it involve? Well, we know the worship of idols, oftentimes, and no doubt in Abraham's case, it means he was involved in ritual uh, slave prostitution and idol worship. He was commanded to leave that life behind him, to repent and to look to God in obedience, to be different, to depend solely on him. Now, how can you and I, how can you and I uh, say that this is a part of our family history? Because look at all of you. You're decent and respectable folk, right? And this is not your family history, is it? Well, that's what Moses is telling us. This is your family history. You're not here because you're better, because you have any good in your own heart. Just like Abraham, God is telling you and me, we are spiritually bankrupt. We have nothing to offer God. And that is a key part of our family history. We have nothing to offer him. And so why are we here? I'm a complete train wreck. And so are you. We have nothing to offer God. We are slaves to our own sin. Have you ever felt discouraged about your sin and helpless in your own ability? That's good. That's very good. Because that is a key part of our family history. Now we're getting somewhere. And now we're ready to hear the good news. This call is impossible. How can we trust and remain faithful to our God? How can we come out from what is all around us and be different? We can't. And yet... God does call us to greater and greater faithfulness, to greater and greater obedience. And it's all based on his grace and his blessing that he will give to us. More blessing than we can ever imagine. So there's one side of our family history, and God is going to show us another side. Look in verse 1 at the end. After he calls him to go, to trust and obey, what does God say? He says, I will show you. I will be with you, Abraham. So here we are. After we've been shown as a part of our family history, we're a people who are called to be to be different, to come out, to obey the Lord and be ultimately loyal to him, to trust in him alone. But we know our family history is that we can't do that. We're idol worshipers, just like Abraham. We have no strength in ourselves. But God says, there's another side of your family history you need to remember. I will intervene. I will show grace. That is a key part of this covenant. Notice the emphasis on God's action, beginning at the end of verse 1. I will show you. In verse 2, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. God says, yes, you have a high calling, a difficult calling, but I will be with you 
And that's the first promise of blessing here, that God will be with us. Because we know this is not an easy task to come out, to obey, to be different. But we are never promised an easy go of things, are we, as believers? But the promise is always, I will be with you. My presence is enough. I am here. Do not be afraid. You don't know what's going to happen, do you? Just like Abraham. Abraham did not know what was going to happen on the road. He faced many dangers, and it's recorded as the story unfolds in the chapters that follow. Abraham did not know what was going to face him, and neither do you. You don't know what's going to happen. God says, my presence is enough. My grace is enough. All you need is to know that I am with you. Now, remember, as of course I've already told you, that the first audience of this was the the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. They were called to be in a particular place in the land of Palestine. And as they were called out and lived obediently and grew in their faithfulness to the Lord, the nations were going to come through that little piece of land and see the greatness of God. That's where they were called to be. Now, you and I are not called to that piece of land, but in the same way, we are called to go with God's presence to display his love and his truth. So we are called here. You are called to the the house where you live, to this community, to this nation. That's where you have been called to be in the same way. And you do not know what's going to happen, but God has promised whatever you face, I will be with you and I'm all you need. That's the first blessing, the blessing of his presence. The next one, look at verse 2. God says to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. Now, this is very uh, interesting because as yet, Abraham was just an older man with an older wife with no children. And God says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. That's the blessing that I'm going to bestow upon you also, Abraham. They're going to be great. There's going to be many of them. They're going to be influential in this world, a great nation. It highlights God's own power and his grace. I can imagine Abram and Sarah at this point saying, God, I would just be happy with with one child, with one descendant. In fact, they laugh when they get older and the promise has not yet happened. And God says, no, it's going to happen through you. And they laugh because God's timing is not always our timing. It's not a promise of instant fulfillment. We often have to wait. But God's promises always come to pass in his own time, in his own way. And, of course, it highlights God's own power and grace that he would take this older couple, barren with no children, and of them raise up a great nation. So the greater glory is given to God. And that is the heart of all Scripture. All glory is given to God because it's God's covenant, God's coming to Abram and Sarah, rescuing them, redeeming them, so that he gets the praise. So the next promise of a great nation is followed by another promise, another blessing in verse 2. Just the promise simply that God says, I will bless you. Now, in... At this time in history, in the West, our philosophical tradition oftentimes leads us to uh, think about blessing and we divide blessings into spiritual blessings or material blessings. That's really not a biblical way of 
thinking. God doesn't say, well, these material things that I've given you aren't spiritual. No, they're from me. They're gracious gifts from me. All of my creation is good and everything you have. So, of course, this includes spiritual blessings, God's presence, peace with God, intimacy and fellowship with God. Of course, those are the the heart of it. But it also includes, as uh, the blessings of the covenant are listed in Deuteronomy 28, it includes goats and cows and rain and wheat. And so in every way, God says, I'm going to bless you. And this is a theme in Genesis that we've already encountered. When God created the heavens and the earth, after he created male and female to rule over it, he said in in verse 28 of chapter 1, God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So when sin enters, the question arises, is God done blessing? Is it all over? Well, no, after the flood, when Noah and his family come out, God repeats the same blessing. And the same promise to preserve the earth. And it says in chapter 9, verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons. So despite our sin, God is determined to bless. And this again is reminding Israel and you and me of our family history. Who is our God? He is a God who blesses. Despite our sin, he is determined to bless. God is in the blessing business. The next promise in verse 2 is that Abraham will be given a great name. Notice that it is God who determines whose name is great. Flip back just one chapter to the account of the Tower of Babel. When all the nations had gathered together to do what? Look in verse 4. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. They were trying to make a great name for themselves. That's our sinfulness at its worst, trying to exalt ourselves and not God, contrary to the way we were created. And yet God is gracious and he says, Abraham, though you have strayed far far from me, I'm calling you out and I will make your name great so that you will bring me glory. And so that's a caution to each of us. And that is a part of our family history that we have that desire within us to make our own name great and not let God exalt himself through us. So are you more concerned about your own name, your own reputation, what people think of you? Or are you more concerned about what God is, what people are thinking and saying about God? So why did get why did Abraham get a great name? It again, is because God was determined to show mercy, because God was determined to bless him, not because Abraham was so godly, not because he deserved a great name. He was an idol worshiper involved in cult prostitution. It was nothing he did. He was spiritually bankrupt, just like you and me. But God is gracious and he gives lavishly and he floods our life with blessing. Why? Look at the end of verse two, so that so that you will be a blessing. So God pauses here and he reminds the people of Israel, why am I blessing you? Why so much grace despite your sin? So that you will 
bless others. The NIV is a wonderful translation, but it doesn't highlight the fact that this is this is a purpose clause. It's a result clause. God is saying, I'm blessing you. And the the result, the reason is so that you bless those around you. So all that you have, all that you've been given, your home, your food, your resources, yourself, every spiritual blessing that you have is for others. To share with others. And so we are blessed for the sake of those around us. Your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates, everything that you have. Because redemption and this covenant of grace that God is making with Abraham is not simply. It's it's about restoring us. It's about restoring God's image in us. God is not just saying, I'm going to bless you. The ultimate blessing is that I'm going to restore you in my image. And who am I? I am the God who blesses. I'm in the blessing business. And I'm going to change you from trying to go your own way, make a name for yourself. I'm going to transform you and restore you to bear my image as you were originally created so that you bless those around you. So you reflect who I am. I am a God who blesses and you will reflect my character when I bless you so much, when I flood you so much that it overflows in your life to everyone around you. So this is about God's transforming grace on display in his covenant people. The next blessing continues in verse three. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse. This is a promise of sovereign protection. God is saying, if you mess with my people, you're toast. And Israel had just seen this. On a brilliant display, as they had been led out of Egypt, Pharaoh tried to keep them and would not let them go. You know the story well. And God sent the plagues to humble Pharaoh to show him who was truly God and who who was truly in control. And Israel met many obstacles on their way out of Egypt, on the way to the land of Canaan, when the Amalekites came against them. God said, I'm going to set myself against that people. They try to destroy my new humanity, my new people that I've called out to obey me. They tried to stop this from happening. They're trying to stop my people from living out this calling to bless the nations. And so I'm going to put a stop to that. And so the Amalekites came against the Israelites and brought destruction upon themselves Because they messed with God's people. And when you mess with God's people, you mess with God. And he will not allow that to happen. Again, this protection is not to a level that removes our need to trust God. And it doesn't mean that life is easy and smooth sailing. Of course not. Israel had to strap on their swords and they had to fight. So we're not promised ease. But we know that ultimately God will preserve and protect us. And those who mess with us have to answer to him. So we now come to a final blessing. Look at verse three. The final, all these blessings culminate with this blessing in you. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. So as Abraham leaves his family, as he obeys and trusts God, what ultimately is God's plan for this world to give blessing, 
Now, as we read, as Alan read earlier from Galatians, Paul said, and he quotes this phrase, that God is going to bless all the families of the earth. Paul says that this is the gospel preached beforehand. This is the good news for all peoples. Now, why would he say that? What does he mean? Paul goes on to say, as Alan read, that the offspring of Abraham is truly Christ himself. Now, in English, the word offspring can be plural or singular. We use the same word offspring. We don't say offsprings. We usually just say offspring, and it can be singular or plural. So here we have, and Abraham was promised, many offspring, plural, to be a great nation that they would multiply. But there's also alongside of this a promise of a singular offspring. And that's what Paul calls our attention to in Galatians 3. Plural offspring are promised, but the hope of this singular offspring. Now, in Genesis, this should not surprise us at this point. In fact, this offspring has already been mentioned. Turn back to Genesis 3. As soon as sin enters the world, what does God promise? Promises that an offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. That a champion will come. A champion for God's people to deliver them. He is going to come on the scene. And then later, turn over to Genesis 22, the story we read about Abraham and Isaac. The end of this, look at verse 17. It says, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring. So there's the many offspring. As the stars of the heaven, as the sand on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Now the pronoun there is singular, his. So now Moses is talking about a singular offspring. Who will triumph over his enemies. And in your offspring, singular, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So our promise here in Genesis 12 that God's heart for the nations is to bless, even despite all of our sin, it anticipates the coming of this singular offspring of Abraham, this champion who is going to crush the head of the serpent, who is going to bring blessing. And that is what Paul highlights in Galatians and says, this is the Lord Jesus Christ the son of Abraham, and in him, all of us have been brought into this covenant by his grace. And so this is our family history, not only that we are soiled and tainted with sin, yet we have a God of grace who desires to bless us and who is even going to deal with our own sin through this offspring of Abraham to transform us into a people that are so filled with blessing, that are so transformed, we cannot help to bless those around us. And so, do you know your family history? Do you know and do you feel inadequate to be a blessing to those around you? I hope you do. Because it's never about our own strength, our own power. But it's about focusing and looking at our God, the God who blesses, says, I'm going to bless you so much. I'm going to fill and flood your life with blessing that it's going to overflow. 
to the nations. So God is in the blessing business. And by his grace, let us answer the call to bless those around us. Let's pray. Our Lord, we are overwhelmed by your grace towards us. We know that we have nothing to offer to you. We know that you are a God who redeems and transforms. That is our only hope. We have run far, far away from you. And even now, though we have answered the call to repent and obey, to trust in you and obey your word, Father, we fall flat on our faces so often. And it's encouraging to us that you're a God who is committed to transforming us, to filling us with grace and blessing, to restore us in your image, that we might uh, bless others as you bless us. We give you praise. All the glory goes to you. We thank you for our family history. We thank you that it uh, both humbles us and encourages us to continue to exalt your name. We pray this in the strong name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham. Amen.